Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Sebastian Lyon, Chief Investment Officer of Troy Asset Management and Investment Manager to Personal Assets Trust, which we'll be discussing. Sebastian has 30 years investment experience and has managed equity portfolios since 1992. He began his career in 1989 at Singer and Freelander Investment Management. Joining Stanhope Investment Management, the company for the GEC Pension Fund in 1995, he jointly managed the £2 billion equity portfolio and the fund's asset allocation. He was appointed director in 1999 and in 2000 he left to establish Troy. Gaining his BSc in politics from Southampton University, Sebastian holds the associate of the Society of Investment Professionals qualification and is an associate member of the CFA Society of the UK. So firstly, a warm welcome to you, Sebastian, and thank you for sparing us some of your time. Richard, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you very much for having us. So if we could start at the beginning in terms of the uh, personal asset trusts, uh, what, are, what are the sort of objectives of the trust as you see it? Well, Richard, the, the history of personal assets is quite an interesting one. It was started way back when, about 1984, as a sort of private client vehicle. Ian Rushbrook, you'll remember as a, a bit of a, a guru, Edinburgh-based fund manager, took it on very much as a sort of a personal mantle when he left Ivory and Syme. Uh, it was a tiny trust back then, five million pounds back in 1990. And he ran it as a sort of personal fiefdom for, for friends and family and, and grew it very successfully over almost 20 years. And then when sadly he died back in, uh, during the teeth of the crisis back in 2008, Troy was appointed as investment advisor. And it was very much back then seen as a, a sort of evolution, not a revolution. Um, Troy's investment process was very similar to Ian's in terms of focus on wealth preservation. The whole mantra of personal assets is firstly, it's for private investors. And it's, it's a, an investment vehicle that people can feel confident enough to put a meaningful amount of their, of their wealth to work in personal assets. It's not something that you know, might be 2 or 3% of a portfolio. It might be 20 or 30% of a portfolio. So they can commit a, a, a meaningful amount. And really, the aim of the trust is to preserve and grow capital. And in that order preserve first, grow second. We have a comparator, which is the FTSE All Share, uh, but we don't invest with any, on any basis uh, looking at that as a sort of benchmark. Our performance is very different from that benchmark, as you would expect. We're long only, uh, we don't short, uh, we don't use derivatives. It's a very actually simple structure, uh, which I think actually in, in particularly the last couple of years has come into its own as some have got uh, distracted by using derivatives and using um, and shorting. That's effectively the structure that we have today. Importantly, from the point of view of the constitution of the, the portfolio, we know what we own and we know why we own it. And we can invest in stocks internationally as well as in the UK, um, but also other assets as well, whether it be fixed income, index linked, uh, commodities, cash. And, and importantly, as a wealth preservation vehicle, we're not frightened of holding cash you know, if we feel that liquidity is the right place to be, then we will keep our powder dry rather than feel obliged to be fully invested all of the time. From the point of view of the performance, what we are trying to do in terms of the objectives of the trust is we are trying to generate equity type returns, but with materially less volatility. So effectively, we're hoping 
uh, and endeavoring that our investors sleep better at night. They generate equity type returns over the cycle. And over the last decade, I think the trust has returned around 75% compared to the UK stock market of 64%, but with half the volatility. And, and the importance is that latter part. So we haven't generated those returns by taking above average risk or even average risk. We've, we've generated those returns by taking materially below average risk. With that in mind, in terms of allocation, how, how does this trust currently look in terms of assets, sector, country as appropriate? At the moment, we're 42% in equity. That is materially higher than it was at the beginning of this year. We came into this year, markets were looking very overstretched. We had, had a 10-year bull market. Uh, we were 30% in equities. With the falls, uh, obviously COVID-related, uh, we made a material move more positively uh, into equities, uh, increasing by over 10% to our allocation. How that is divided up, that 42%, is 28% um, in the US, 4% in Switzerland, and 8% in the UK. That's something that's changed over the last decade. We started off when we first won the mandate in 2009, having much more bias towards the UK uh, and away from overseas. And that's evolved over time. What we have found, looking at it both from the top down and the bottom up, is, is that the US stock market, we have preferred, not from a top down perspective, but just because we found better companies in the US, um, both better managed and also with better growth as well. And the UK market, we found uh, less attractive, the businesses there less attractive, um, but also for effectively, for, for reasons of, of essentially maturity, within the UK. The UK market is very much dominated by, by banks, by oil companies, um, by companies that are ultimately pretty mature, uh, not growing, often very capital intensive, often very cyclical. And I think to some extent what's happened in the last six months is that cyclicality uh, and that exposure has been exposed, you know, and we've seen obviously some very material dividend cuts from the UK market with, with almost half the UK stocks cutting their dividends. So I think that that, that vulnerability was exposed and, and, and the US has been better. So that, that top-down view and stroke bottom-up view uh, has been so far correct. So bias towards the US, bias away from the UK. And then elsewhere within the portfolio to sort of offset uh, the equities, we have almost 30%, 29% in US tips. Uh, a year ago, we would have had more in, in UK linkers less in UK and US tips, um, but we feel that uh, interest rates have come down. As a result of that, uh, real rates have also come down. And within the UK, that was already discounted. So real yields in the UK a year or 18 months ago were about uh, minus two and a half. But in the US were, interestingly, they were in positive territory. Uh, and so we reduced and sold down our UK index links for preference of U US tips. And what we've seen this year is real yields move from positive to negative. Uh, and so those bonds, those index linked bonds have performed well. And ultimately, with all of the monetary unorthodox policy that's ongoing at the moment, one of our biggest concerns for markets is that clearly inflation and inflation expectations remain very low, but ultimately in the longer term, call it five years, we think there are risks that inflation may rise. It may or may not happen, but uh, that would have very material implications for fixed income investors, but also for equity investors as well. And so we want some sort of insurance within the portfolio 
that if we're wrong and inflation does pick up, then we've got some uh, protection, which the tips will offer. But also 12% of the portfolio, an additional 12% of the portfolio is in gold and gold mining shares. And that uh, similarly ensures us from a variety of outcomes, but particularly that, that inflationary outcome, or particularly uh, decreasing real yields. We think that we're in a world where effectively interest rates are likely to remain low for a very long time. And so therefore, uh, in, but, but, but ultimately, you know, if inflation rises and interest rates remain as with protection as central banks you know, print money um, and effectively um, debase currencies. So gold we view perhaps rather strangely as a sort of currency that can't be printed. Uh, so it protects us from that ongoing devaluation and debasement, uh, which we're particularly seeing this year with central bank moves that have been made as we've gone into this crisis. Uh, and then the balance of the portfolio, which is 17%, is in cash and short dated. We want to have cash in order to be able to move quickly. So if we see a subsequent fall in markets in the way that we did in February and March, then we can move quickly to invest that um, dry powder in, in equities. Um, and so we ideally, we'd like our equity allocation to be higher, but only obviously into the right stocks and at the right prices. I think you've partly answered uh, my next question already, but do you think you could maybe talk us through one or two of your top holdings at the current time? Mm. The top sort of five or six holdings we've held for a number of years and we tended not to we don't trade very actively our portfolio turnover is low uh, and the reason for that is that we like to to sort of as i mentioned earlier know what we own know why we own it there's a temptation in investment management to sort of be be attracted by the sort of newest thing um, and there's also a temptation to to trade too frequently both of those come at a cost what we like to do is we like to buy stocks at sensible valuations, but businesses which we know are sustainable and will grow. So we're not looking for, for recovery and turnaround situations. We want to buy businesses which we know are going to be around in 10 years' time, but not just around, thriving in 10 years' time, uh, stronger than they are today. And so looking at the top five or six holdings, we've got Microsoft uh, as our largest holding, it's just over 5% of the portfolio. We've held it going back to 2010. So we've held it a decade, probably been one of our best investments. But there, the fundamentals remain robust. Um, Satya Nadella, the CEO of the last five years, has done a fantastic job really turning around Microsoft. Microsoft was very friendless when we first bought into it back in 2010. Everybody was writing it off with the new internet companies coming through, um, Apple being particularly strong, but also um, Facebook, obviously, uh, and Google coming through. And people thought that Microsoft had had its day. It was the new IBM. But I think what Satya Nadella was so clever at doing was turning the business around, continuing to focus on, on enterprise, recognizing that being a business software company was the core gill of the business. And from that perspective, shifting, the, shifting their portfolio into the cloud so well and recognizing that the cloud was the future of, um, of, of software and, and the future of IT generally. So I think that has done well for us and we think that it will continue to do well, which moves us on to our second holding, which is Alphabet, or the owner of Google, uh, which obviously owns uh, YouTube, etc. They've got some really great and still nascent businesses there, 
And clearly search is being hit in the very short term due to COVID. But I mean, actually, they had their numbers last week, which were very resilient. Uh, Revenue is pretty flat. And we think over the next five years to 10 years, revenues will continue to grow uh, healthily in, in double digits. And I think one of the things that, that COVID has done is it has accelerated a number of trends which we've been exposed to. And one of those from, a, from an IT and internet perspective is business investing in software um, and, and everything moving effectively onto the cloud. And, and that, and obviously what we're doing today, which is talking remotely, uh, so, so business conversations, working from home, all of these things have accelerated online shopping, et cetera, accelerated all of these trends. Uh, and Microsoft and Alphabet are going to be very material beneficiaries of that, not necessarily tomorrow, but certainly in the next um, year or two and the next five years. And then we move to the next sort of three stocks, three or four stocks, which are all staples. And um, we've always held um, staples within personal assets and within our multi-asset portfolios. Uh, and, and the reason for that is they give good long-term consistent returns. And to some extent, they've been tested um, by, by COVID, uh, like many businesses have, and they've come out stronger rather than weaker. And so, so we hold Nestle, which we've held for 11 years, uh, Unilever, which amazingly we've held within our Troy portfolios, not within uh, personal assets, uh, but we, within our Troy portfolios going back to 16 years, uh, and then Philip Morris and, and Diageo as well. So those are the, the next four holdings. And if you look at something like a a Nestle, clearly it's benefited from what American investors rather elegantly call pantry loading uh, as we went into lockdown uh, uh, and what, what in the UK we describe as panic buying. But uh, effectively what happened is as we went into lockdown is people went to the supermarkets and bought all of those essentials and stored up on, on those. Uh, and that's clearly benefited the, the March quarter. But actually, what I've been very comforted by is, is if we looked at the June quarter, which has just been reported on, we we're expecting actually weaker trading, as effectively that pantry loading sort of came out of the comparisons. And, and that hasn't happened at all. Um, momentum has continued within these businesses. And, and what's been particularly comforting as an investor in something like Nestle is, is that they've been able to move from offline to, to online. So with something like Nespresso, for example, they have had to close 90% of their Nespresso shops, but actually people have bought their Nespresso pods online. And so you've seen, again, the benefit of companies that have invested in IT uh, have benefited from, uh, in terms of revenues, of getting their channels moving online rather than from physical stores. And, and, and we've, we've sort of definitely stayed away from things like retail, those areas of, of the economy uh, which have been disproportionately hit. But that's, that COVID has exacerbated that. That was happening anyway. It's just effectively the whole, the whole process has been accelerated. So those are the top sort of five or six holdings that we have at the moment. But I think the interesting point to make, Richard, is, is that with the exception of Alphabet, which we bought about a year ago, quite, quite well timed when it had had a, a rather dull period of performance, the average holding period of those six holdings is 10 years. So so that emphasizes the fact that uh, when we find good companies and good businesses, we tend to back them for the long term. Given the whipsawing we've seen in the markets during 2020 and the rather bumpy ride, to push it lightly, particularly, as you mentioned, during February and March, um, the trust is presumably uh, coping reasonably well, given the, uh, the current downturn or economic backdrop that we're seeing. So you're right. So, I mean, in terms of how we're coping, you know, I think it's still early days. I think to some extent, we're in the process of a sort of phony war, if you like. 
in terms of the fact that the the real economic ramifications of COVID haven't really been fully exposed yet. Um, you know, we haven't seen, we, we're expecting the downturn to come and I suppose we're, we're in the middle, the process of the downturn, but that's not something that's going to take, you know, a quarter or two, that's going to take a year or two. So I, I wouldn't want to be overly optimistic about, about a very quick recovery, but I think that so far, we can say sort of so far so good, uh, the drawdown of the trust during March uh, and uh, February and March, the very sharp sort of five, six weeks sell-off that we saw, markets were down 35%, the UK and the US market. During that period, we were down 12. So we effectively captured one third of the drawdown, which I think is, is okay. I mean, during the financial crisis, uh, we were down about 13%. Uh, that was a 50% drawdown. So I think that hopefully our shareholders will be relatively happy with that sort of experience. You know, we are long only, we're not going to go up in a down market, um, but the idea is, is that we're going to protect as much as we possibly can. Year to date, so through the dip and the rally, the trust is now up 7% in share price terms to yesterday's close, uh, to, the end of, or to the end of July, and the all shares down 18. So from that perspective, and, and the shares are making new highs. And, and from Troy's point of view and from the multi-asset perspective, uh, whether it's for personal assets or for our open-ended fund, the Trojan Fund, you know, if we're making new highs for our investors, you know, it means we're not losing anybody any money. So it means, again, uh, we're giving them a, a, a better ride. And certainly from the point of view, it's just worth pointing out that from the perspective of the investment trust, personal assets is rather unusual in having what's called a discount control mechanism. And what that means is that when markets do become more volatile, as they did in February and March, the shares do not trade at a meaningful discount to their NAV, which would exacerbate share price performance. Um, so it means that the shares will only fall perhaps a little bit more or a little bit less than the NAV. It will track the NAV more closely, but there's no risk of it widening out and, and effectively punishing shareholders for effectively sentiment reasons. So we did buy back a few shares uh, in, the, in the deepest, darkest depths of, um, of March. Um, but since April, we've been, we've been issuing new shares. And it is actually how the trust has grown over a period of time, that we have been prepared to buy back, but also issue shares at a modest premium, which is to the benefit of all, all shareholders. Given where we are, what, what do you think the outlook is from here? Yeah, the $64,000 question. I think I wrote about this in my, my latest investment report, which will be going out to Pat shareholders this week. I think looking at equity markets in particular, they've had a very big sell-off and, and a very material rally. The rally has been predicated on very aggressive monetary stimulus, uh, cutting of interest rates, QE, uh, and also fiscal stimulus as well. Effectively, there's no real uncertainty uh, allowed for in, 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 in equity markets at the moment. And, so, and there is a very material disconnect to some extent between stock markets and, and asset prices in general uh, and the wider economy. We've got this huge sort of disconnect between what's been going on in the stock market and what's going on in the wider economy. And to some extent, there needs to be a, a little bit of a reality check. So I think that there are still a lot of uncertainties. And there has been, as I've said earlier, a sort of continuation of various economic trends. I think COVID has been a huge wake-up call to businesses that weren't exposed to moving businesses online, um, retail you know, we've seen it Netflix with, with uh, in, in terms of the media sector as well. 
payments moving more electronic, so people using their phones to pay, using, using computers to pay rather than using cash, working from home, obviously a very big trend. So all of these trends have sort of accelerated as a result. We're not going back to where we were. And so I think, I think there's going to be, a, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of pain in you know, the old economy, the sort of physical economy. And that's ultimately still to come. But from a stock market, from a stock market and a stock picking perspective, as you say, Richard, we are pretty defensively positioned because markets have traveled very hopefully. You know, markets are almost back up to all time highs. Uh, and therefore, there is risk, certainly, of, of, of another sell-off at some stage in the future as, as the sort of reality, the economic reality bites. We're prepared for that. You know, we've got liquidity. If that did happen, um, I'm not saying it definitely will, but certainly, uh, if it did happen, then we're well positioned for that and we're positioned to exploit that and increase our equity allocation, you know, as and when that does, does occur. I think it's just worth pointing out that, you know, policy was actually quite extreme by historical standards going into this. It has become materially more extreme, both monetary and fiscal policy. That increases risks, and that's sort of, the, to some extent, the reason why we've got gold within the portfolio. You know, it acts, to some extent, as an insurance policy for the portfolio. Rather than owning derivatives, we own gold. And with the exception of a sell-off during uh, the, the, a really narrow period in March, uh, really over a period of a couple of weeks, where gold did sell off and actually all asset prices sold off because people just were uh, looking to buy, looking to get liquidity. Gold did a very good job in terms of providing that protection um, for us during that sell-off. And I'm sure it would again if we have another sell-off into the future. We are defensively positioned, but that will hopefully provide us with some protection. And also, you know, we're, we're front foot forward. You know, we came into this year very defensively positioned. We're less defensive than we were but we're still you know, pretty defensive by our historical standards, but we're ready to make a step up in asset allocation uh, incre to increase our equity exposure you know, as and when those opportunities present themselves. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. Those are certainly fascinating insights. And thank you once again, Sebastian, for your time and joining us. Um, so our thanks go there to Sebastian Lyon, the investment manager to the Personal Assets Trust. And thank you for listening. Do join us next time for another interactive investor podcast.